Praise God, I'm looking forward to tonight. We got Brother Mike gonna share a little bit with us tonight. And uh, before he comes up, I just wanna ask Debbie to come back up for a minute. Just kinda, maybe you can explain a little bit um, whereabouts you guys are, what region you're in, or um, what part of the boonies you live in out there. Praise God. Um, we are in Scotland, which I think you all know. Um, we are not on the east side, we're on the west side because the west side is the best side. West. <laughs> um, we live on the coast, so we're not very far from the sea, but the sea is very cold, so we don't get in it very much, but um, it's, it's, it's different. Now, kind of describe <laughs> the town a little bit. What's it like over there? Our town is probably what... It's West Kilbride, and it's like 6,500 people. Mm -hmm. So we have cobblestone streets, and, you know, we're, we're sort of up in, on a hill in a castle-type dwelling. Um, it's not really a castle. It's more like a... a okay, it's a castle. Um, but it, it's old, so it has lots of problems right. and leaks. Yeah, leaks. <laughs> and what about the people's hearts towards the things of God there? Mm. Well, um, you would think that a country that brought the gospel to our country would be more receptive to the gospel, but I think that religion is kind of the, you know, it, it's okay to be religious, but it's not okay necessarily. There's no great hunger for, and I'd say in all of the whole country, there's probably uh, how many people in, in Scotland? Five million. Five million. So out of that, our guesstimate from the people that we've talked to, there might be ten to 15,000 real believers. Wow. A lot of people go to church and... Like a form of godliness. Yeah. Power. Yeah, but there are. And the ones that are really turned on to the Lord, they gravitate toward each other and they immediately... Um, they immediately mesh. I mean, the first time that we went there, I met a lady at a Christian music festival. It was the last one that they ever did. And she called me up three weeks later and asked me if we wanted to watch their store and take care of the money and live in their house. And we, we didn't even know them. And so, you know, it, there's like an immediate trust when they sense the spirit of God in you, there's an immediate trust. So it's a wonderful thing. And there's lots of people that are praying for a revival, yeah. so many. And they're, you know, they're weary. They're weary. Yeah. Yeah. They're weary. Yeah. Amen. Praise God. Thanks, Debbie. Well, you know, I don't, I, I don't think God's finished up there, you know. I don't think God's finished up there. I sense that Scotland is kind of like, you know, the whole United Kingdom, you know, as the oil runs down the head of Aaron, runs over his face and down to his beard. You know, so go it with the United Kingdom. Lord, start it in the north and let the Holy Ghost fire just roll right on down. Amen. Praise God. Let's welcome Brother Mike up to the... We thank you, brother. Amen. I wanted to add one more thing to what she said about the people there. And I think it's really telling of what's going on in that country. When I think it was our second year we were there, we were in 
a little village, a seaside village north of, or yeah, north of us called Largs. And the churches there have, um, a lot of them have lunches on Saturday and Sunday where you can go in and you can get soup and a sandwich and a coffee for, for two pounds, three pounds. So we went in to the um, St. John's, which is the Church of Scotland Church in Largs. And wherever we go in Scotland, once we start talking, if people hear us talk, we kind of attract attention because we sound weird to them. I mean, you know. Um, and this guy asked us where we were from. And it turns out he was an elder of the church. He was 85 years old. And he wanted to show us around his church. And he asked what brought us to Scotland. And I had actually had a vision. Debbie had felt called to Scotland for 30 years before we went. Debbie was called 30 years before we went. I went with her and we visited, we stayed at Jeremy's house actually. And, uh, and I got the call there. Well, shortly after that, I mean, the way the call came, I had, I guess it was a vision. I mean, I'm not used to having stuff like that, so I don't know. Um, but I saw a big revival in Scotland and that we were supposed to go there and we were going to be a part of it. Well, I told this to this man. And he looked at me really funny and we talked for a little while and he said, will you do me a favor? He said, will you pray for our pastor? For our minister. He is one of these liberal fellows. You know, he said he, he doesn't believe that Jesus was resurrected. He doesn't believe in the virgin birth. He, you know, he preaches, he will marry homosexuals. Um, he said, and he says, I hate being here. He said, I hate being here. But he says, but someone has to be here to tell people that what he's saying isn't right. It's a lot different than, our, than the churches in the States where you don't like what the pastor's saying. Well, I'll just leave. You know, he stayed there because someone had to tell people that what this guy was saying wasn't right. So I told him that I would pray for him and just as a side note, I prayed that God would either save him or get rid of him. Yeah, right. Well, six months later, he was gone. I mean, he wasn't there. But the touching part to me was that then he said, can I pray for you guys? And so here's this old man. He, I mean, he's in, I, I think he was 85. He was at least 85. And he starts out his prayer saying, God, let me live long enough to see this revival that Mike and Debbie are talking about. And he's crying, and I'm crying, 
And of course, Debbie always cries, so she was crying. And that was kind of our our entry into Scotland. Um, we went there without... <laughs> it, it sounds crazy and it sounds almost irresponsible. I mean, we really went there without a plan of what we were going to do. I mean, when we decided to go to Scotland, we were just going to show up. And we knew that there was a Glasgow House of Prayer. And so we would, if nothing else, we would go to the Glasgow House of Prayer and say, we're here. What would you like us to do? Well, in reality, <laughs> that, was, that was really naive. And, and uh, so anyway, we found out about Youth with a Mission. And we ended up with Youth with a Mission. Um, and they have been very good to us in that they have let us do really whatever we want to. I mean, we are not a typical youth with a mission missionary. Um, you know, normally it is all about youth with a mission and they are involved with DTSs and they are involved in all youth with a mission stuff. We're basically involved with the community and, and with the whole country, actually. And so they were kind enough to, to, to let us use them as a way to get there. Okay. So looking around, I, you know, when we left, uh, there's a lot of people here new people here that weren't here when we left. We went to Scotland in, in 2014. And so just a little bit about us. We had not been in an organized ministry. Well, Debbie was. Debbie was on the church board here and she sang up there. I was, I was really not involved in any kind of ministry. Uh, in an official capacity. I mean, I don't have, I don't sing very well. Um, I don't play an instrument. I'm not a great speaker. I mean, I'm pretty good talking to people one-on-one -on -one in conversations, but a situation like this is not my cup of tea. And so I don't have all of those things that would normally make someone you know, why would you be a missionary if you can't do those things? You know, and every time I'm asked to speak, I was told by God, I, I am to accept. I am to accept and I am to talk about him. The problem is, I don't have anything to say to you. you I don't have anything that you need to hear. But he does. He does. And so whether I butcher it or not, I got up here one Sunday and just read four chapters in John because I couldn't come up with anything else. You know, I, I had all these great plans on what I was going to do, and God said no. But really, what more impactful, I mean, nothing I can say will be as impactful as the Word is. Okay, um, 
God has given me, it's like Mike Bickle, who is with IHOP. If you listen to him, he says he has one message that, and he gives the same message every time, just in a different way. And his message is, you know, first commandment lifestyle. It is, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And how do you do that? And he says, I just give. He said, that's all I ever talk about. He says, I say it different ways, but, you know, I have really one thing, and because of the one thing, there's a secondary thing that falls in there. What God has told me to speak about is that there are huge parts of the church that worship a God of their own making. They have changed God to fit the societal norms. You know, they're embarrassed by the fact that, you know, you hear a lot about God is love. And he is. He is. But he created the world, and six chapters later, he killed everyone. I mean, we don't like to hear that, but that's a side. I mean, that's part of who God is. And we need people who will preach God, will tell people who God really is, not what they want to hear. And that doesn't have to be negative or doesn't have to be, you know, I grew up, um, I never had any problem believing there was a God. I always knew there was a God. I don't know how, but it, it, you know, some people say, well, God, if you're real, well, I knew God was real. I knew he was. And but what I heard, and I don't know if it was the preachers during this time or if it was just the way I took it, you know, Chronicles says the eyes of the Lord search to and fro throughout the earth, looking for someone he can show himself strong for. What I heard was God, God's eyes go to and fro throughout the earth, looking for someone doing something wrong so he can take care of you, so he can punish you. I mean, whether they were saying that or not, that's what I heard. So it's kind of ironic that 50 years later, you know, when everything has changed, I'm saying, hey, wait a minute. You know, God isn't just love. I mean, God is just. He is love, but he's just. And he's holy. And he's gracious, and he's kind, and he's merciful. Um, so, having said that, we're going to go to Isaiah 6, verse 1.
When you're there, say amen. amen. <laughs> Isaiah 6, verse 1. And you'll know it when you get there. <laughs> you'll... Okay. Uh, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. This is Isaiah speaking, by the way. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Um, couple things that I'd like you to notice about that is that if you compare that to when Moses, so the seraphim are constantly in the presence of God. Um, when God spoke to Moses through the burning bush, he said, take off your shoes for the ground, for the, you're standing on holy ground. The seraphim have six wings. Two of them are just to cover their feet in the presence of God. When Moses met with God on the mountain and asked to see him, and God said, no. He said, I'll cause my goodness to pass in front of you, and I'll put my hand over, and you can look at my backside, but you can't look at my face, or you'll die. So the seraphim have two wings to cover their face. Now, they're not men. You know, they are not men. They are way above us. I mean, they're on a different level than us. But they still have to, they have to cover their face in the presence of God. They can't look full on his face. Now, the interesting thing, I'll sneak ahead a little bit, and this probably is out of place, but there will be a time where we will be able to, I mean, you know, when we see him face to face, we will know him. And the Jews had the same thing. The Jews believed that one day they were going to see God face to face. I mean, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. So that will all happen one day. So we're talking about Isaiah, who was a member of the royal family, and you look at his reaction when he saw God. First off, let's look at 
Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. In Hebrew literature and Hebrew writing, um, they have something that is called repetition. And by that, they use it to emphasize things. Okay, so we would, if I were writing something and I wanted to say, you need to take note of this, I would underline it, or I would put it in italics or capital letters. The Hebrews used repetition. Um, Jesus did it when he said, verily, verily, I say unto you, or truly, truly, I say unto you. What he was saying by repeating that is, this is important. Listen to it. Um, a kind of little bit humorous, and, and it's caused problems in translation. There's a little humorous story in Genesis 14 where the battle of the kings in the, in the valley of Siddam, and the kings fell into a pit. Well, translators have had a real problem with that. Uh, it's translated someplace, an asphalt pit. It's translated tar pits. It's translated a great pit. The original says a pit pit. So if you fall into a pit pit, you got problems. You've got problems. Okay, so keeping that in mind, rarely something is repeated three times. And that means it is superlative. It is the greatest in the world. It is beyond measure, beyond belief. It is something so foreign to you that it is alien. Okay, God isn't just holy, or even holy, holy. He is holy, holy, holy. Um, let that sink in for a minute. You know, another case, and it's not quite so pleasant, is in Revelation where they use that. You know, uh, uh, an angel that looked like an eagle flew across the earth saying, woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. Okay. Let's turn to Revelation 4. And again, we're going to read this whole thing because... Just because, just because it is. I mean, because it's there. Uh, <laughs> I, I think to pick some, just pick one verse or two verses out of this is a crime. So, okay. Revelation 4. After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. 
And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones. And on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal, and in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures, full of eyes in front and back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second living creature was like a calf, the third living creature had a face like a man, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give, that was actually the, the only verse that I really wanted to get to, but it's a, like I said, it's a shame to, whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist. Okay. We looked at two glimpses of heaven. The first one was King Uzziah died in 739 B.C. And we saw that we got a glimpse of heaven and God sitting on his throne and angels saying, holy, holy, holy. Revelation was written in 96 A.D. That's 855 years apart. And those same angels are sitting around the throne saying, holy, holy, holy. And in fact, in the Revelation part, it said that's all they do. That's all they do. I think it's probably something we need to pay attention to, the holiness of God. God has a lot of attributes. He is love, 
but I've never heard it described as love, love, love. Or even love, love. He's merciful, but the Bible doesn't say he's mercy, mercy, mercy. He's just, but the Bible doesn't say he's just, just, just. It does say that he is holy, holy, holy. So maybe that's something we need to pay attention to. Let's go back to Isaiah and look at Isaiah's reaction. He said, Woe is me, for I am undone. I like the King James and the older translations where it says he's undone. I mean, some of the newer, some of the newer translations say I'm ruined. Or, but this idea of him being undone, I mean, it means he was just falling apart. I mean, a leg was over here and an arm over here. I mean, he was completely, his existence, he was coming apart at the seams. I mean, that is what that word means that they use when he he says, I am undone. It means I'm coming apart. I can't take this. And this is Isaiah, who was a paragon of virtue. I mean, he wasn't a bad guy. He wasn't a bad guy. But all of a sudden, he got a glimpse of God and he wasn't allowed to compare himself with others. When he got a glimpse of God, all of a sudden, he saw who God really was. And unfortunately, saw who he really was. You know, all of us think that we're not so bad. I mean, you know, when I was out drinking every night and carrying a gun, and, and you know, if you'd have asked me, I said, well, I'm not that bad. I'm basically a good person. I mean, we all think we are until we get a glimpse of God. And then all of a sudden, we are measuring ourselves by the real standard instead of by other people. Psychologists have have a condition that they call personal disintegration where someone just loses it. I mean, they come apart. And that's what happened to Isaiah. He was disintegrating. He was disintegrating. The other thing that he said, he said, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips and dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. 
Why unclean lips? I mean, why didn't he say, I am a man of unclean actions? Or I am a man of unclean thoughts? Because he was. But again, if you go back to the New Testament, Jesus said, It is not what goes into a man's mouth that defiles him, but what comes out of a man's mouth is what defiles a man. Or look at James. Turn to James 3. And we'll go 6 through 12. What? James 3, 6 through 12. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature. And it is set on fire and it is set on fire by hell. For every kind, every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. We are fortunate in that God normally reveals our sin a little bit at a time. Isaiah saw his all at once. All at once. Imagine his, you know, when Adam sinned and had to face God, Eve was with him. You know, I don't know that that would have made it any better, but he may have had some, you know, moral support or whatever. Here is Isaiah, alone, laying on the floor, completely exposed, and realizing how evil he is, that he's a man of unclean lips who lives amongst the people of unclean lips, it must have been absolutely terrifying. However, our holy God is also a God of mercy. And so he took care of it. 
If we go back to Isaiah 6, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. So he did not just like Adam and Eve, who realized they were naked, he clothed them, you know, and took away their shame. He also, so he, so he took away Isaiah's shame and Isaiah's sin by touching a hot coal to his lips. Now, whether that was literal or not, I don't know. I happen to believe it was. I mean, I happen to believe years later, Isaiah, and I have no reason to believe this. It's just something I believe. So don't take this as gospel. But I believe he had scars on his lips that reminded him of that encounter for his whole life. But the fact is that even touching the hot coal to his lips, if it wasn't literal, it was painful. It was painful. And sometimes when God reveals our sin to us, and if we are willing to take care of it, it's painful. It's painful. Unfortunately, today, if you look what God said and what God did when he said, I'm a man of unclean lips and I live, you know, amongst the people of unclean lips, I think today, you know, we would like to think that God would say, ah, Isaiah, you know, it's not that bad. You're basically a good guy. He didn't say that. He agreed with him. I mean, he didn't say he agreed with him, but he certainly didn't contradict him. He accepted, but he took care of the issue. He took care of the issue, and it was, it was painful. Now, having come this far, if God is holy, 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 now the next question is, and we're going to be wrapping up in a minute because I don't have time to do everything and this seems like a place up. What does it mean to be holy? Any ideas? Well, that's, that's good. Most people, quite honestly, if you ask most people what it means to be holy, they will tell you it has something to do with purity or it has something to do with being good. 
And I guess that if you are holy, there is a purity involved there. But that, but you are all right, that it is separation. And it is, um, it is a word I like to use is, it is transcendence. I mean, you know, it, it is like what you were saying, separation at a higher degree. It is like nothing else in this world. It is, and he is set apart. You know, he is set apart. He's not just, I think a lot of times our idea of God is that he is some sort of really super capable man. And he's not. I mean, the difference between God and us is greater than the difference between us and those little red-eyed bugs that are flying around right now. I mean, you know, we are closer to cicadas than God is to us. Now, part of the problem that we have is that God has told us to be holy. I guess first off, what you need to understand, if you don't remember anything else, remember this, that only God is holy in and of himself. That anything else that is holy is only holy because God has made it holy. I mean, if you look in the Bible, there's holy ground. You know, Moses is told to take off his shoes. There was nothing special about that ground except that God was there. Yeah. I mean, the ground was holy because God was there. You know, Israel is a holy nation. Again, they were only holy because God chose them. God made them holy. You know, there was holy bread. But it was only holy because it was offered to God. You know, holy water. I mean, we can go on and on. But nothing... There is nothing that is holy in and of itself except God. So, we got a problem. How does we are told to be holy even as God is holy? How do we do that? I mean, how does an unholy man stand in the presence of of a holy God. I mean, we aren't as good as Isaiah was, probably. Most of us. And Isaiah's, I mean, Isaiah's arms and legs and feet were flying in every direction and he was just completely undone. Okay, so I'm going to give you a little peek into next week and we'll wrap up because I don't want to leave everybody on a negative Note, you need to have, turn to Ephesians chapter 1. 
And we'll start at the beginning. We'll start with verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him. So he made the way before the foundation of the world. So you don't have to go home to go home tonight and think, oh my gosh, how are we gonna? There is hope. And we will get into that a little more next week.